Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Winston Churchill Welcome to the New Chicago Way podcast. I'm Austin Berg, co-author of the book, The New Chicago Way, Lessons from Other Big Cities. Throughout this podcast, we're going to be exploring many of the topics that we discuss in the book, from schools and policing to finances, city council, and the mayor. But before we get into those episodes, before we interview those experts from around the country, we wanted to share the preface of the book, where we detail the taking of Miggs Field under the cover of darkness. Mike Daffenberg awoke before sunrise. It was the morning of March 31st, 2003. Daffenberg was an air traffic controller. Each weekday, he drove to Chicago from his home in suburban DeKalb, arriving before the start of his 6 a.m. shift. This day was no different, it seemed. What Daffenberg did not know was that before he had his morning coffee, before he put on his uniform, before he even got out of bed, a politician had ordered the bulldozing of his place of work under the cover of darkness. Mayor Richard M. Daley had launched a clandestine attack on Meg's Field. Select city lawyers knew about the mayor's plan to capture the Northerly Island airfield as did Daly's chief of staff and two city officials. Left unaware were, to name only a few, all 50 city aldermen, the governor of Illinois, the Federal Aviation Administration, and the Department of Homeland Security, and Daffenberg, of course. He learned of Daly's decision while driving to work. Quote, I felt like I was laid off by the radio, he told the Chicago Tribune. A lone camera stationed just north of the Northerly Island airfield at the Adler Planetarium would have captured a live feed of the MiG's assault, but a city fire truck trained a spotlight on the lens, blinding the public eye at the very start of the operation. Backhoes carved six menacing X-shaped ditches into the runway. Sixteen planes sat stranded at the airport, which had seen 32,000 flights the year before. Little Miggs was the most famous single runway airport in the world. In early versions of the popular Microsoft video game Flight Simulator, Miggs Field was the pilot's default starting point. The views were iconic, but Miggs was not just a pretty place. Writing for the Chicago Tribune, John McCarran described it as an economic jewel. Miggs filled a niche demand among business travelers looking for easy access to Chicago's central business district. Daly justified the raid as a matter of national security. Miggs, he said, had become a potential launching pad for terrorist attacks. The nation's top domestic security official at the time did not echo Daly's concerns. When repeatedly questioned by reporters in April 2003 as to whether Daly's closure made Chicagoans safer, Homeland Security Secretary Tom Ridge refused to say yes. Quote, I'm disappointed they closed it, Ridge said. He confirmed that Daly did not give him any advance notice of the closure. The Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which boasted nearly 400,000 members at the time, also dismissed the mayor's reasoning, quote, Aircraft utilizing Miggs Field pose no threat to the greater Chicagoland area and certainly no greater threat than aircraft in transit to and from O'Hare and Midway, the association stated in a 2003 lawsuit challenging Daly's attack. 
The public wasn't buying it either. A June 2003 poll conducted by the Chicago Tribune revealed 65% of Chicagoland voters disapproved of Daly's raid on MiGs. A resounding 70% disagreed that the airfield, when operating, had heightened the likelihood of a terrorist attack. It appears that the first time Daly publicly voiced safety concerns regarding MiGs was after his raid. But over the course of his mayoral tenure, he frequently stated his desire that Northerly Island be transformed into a city park. Today, it is. Neither the Daly administration nor the city of Chicago incurred any punishment for the actions at MiGs, save for a small fine levied by the Federal Aviation Administration for failure to give adequate notice of the closure. Members of the city council took no legislative action. The park district, headed by a Daly appointee, complied with the mayor's orders. And city lawyers disposed of lawsuits against the administration in short order. Judges had lifted all potential legal barriers by the end of May, and demolition was underway by summer. Pacific Construction Services, which counted former Daily Aid and former Park District COO David Tack in its ranks, won the $1.13 million contract to put MiGs out of its misery. The mayor's decimation of the airfield is not difficult to criticize. After all, MiGs was a world-renowned landmark. It served a respected role in air transportation and brought jobs to Chicagoans. But none of these particulars should be the primary concern to a critical eye. Instead, the raid on MiGs is appalling for what it reveals about how Chicago government operates. A rubber stamp city council, a lapdog board appointed by the mayor, hurried decisions, clout-heavy contracts, lack of fiscal considerations, secrecy, centralization, and destruction. These are the hallmarks of Chicago governance. This is the Chicago way, and it was on display at MiGs in 2003. Much more than merely fodder for headlines, the MiGs raid represents a microcosm of the political culture that has brought Chicago to its knees. Discerning citizens now see its influence in the schools, in city ledger lines, in elections, in many fiefdoms controlled by local aldermen, and in the harrowing, grainy footage of young men gunned down by police. Miggs lays bare the perverted political process in Chicago, one fueled by dangerous decision-making built on the will of a single person. Indeed, the Windy City is a modern metropolis of millions, functioning with a government built for one-man rule. Deliberative democracy is dead here. Chicago is home, rather, to a form of government that resembles strongman authoritarian regimes that persist in far corners of the world. The mayor is the strongman. Any perceived checks on mayoral power were proven illusory on that night in 2003. And they remain illusory. More than 2.6 million Chicagoans live under this broken structure of governance and the political pathologies that arise from it. It seems at times that the whole city is mixed field, a property upon which the mayor can impose his or her will at any time, for any reason, with little resistance. Chicagoans stumbled upon that truth in 2003. Everyone complains about government. Or do they? Every city has the same problems. Or do they? And Chicago is no exception. Or is it? I am Ed Backrack, co-author of The New Chicago Way. We have been observers of Chicago government for years, 
And here is what we've learned. In terms of outcomes, crime, finances, corruption, pensions, schools, and many other measures of government effectiveness, Chicago is an outlier and not in a good way. Homicide, debt, trust in government, Chicago rates lower than its peers among the top 15 cities in the United States. We have studied this for several years and have put our findings in a new book, The New Chicago Way, Lessons from Other Big Cities. Here is the simple argument of our book. Chicago's problems are greater by every measure than other big American cities. They are bigger because the Chicago government consistently makes poor decisions. And it makes those poor decisions because it has an outdated, what has been called an anachronistic governance structure whereby the mayor controls every aspect of city government. Other major cities have outgrown this governance structure over the last 120 years or since the turn of the previous century. Thousands of hardworking, committed reformers in those other cities have put in place governance structures that have allowed those cities to solve their problems and move forward and face the challenges of the modern world, but not Chicago. Now, that is our argument. Our methodology is to look at the top 15 cities by population of the United States, going from New York all the way down to Columbus, Ohio, and that includes Chicago. We compare Chicago's outcomes to those other cities, and then chapter by chapter, we analyze the governance structure of those cities compared to Chicago. We did this by not only research into those governance structures, but we arranged interviews with scores of people from those other cities, officials, councilmen, school board members, civil society, academics, and average citizens. And we, we bolstered the conclusions that we have based upon what they said. We would call them and explain what their structure is and ask them how it's working for them in their city. There are a few things that this book is not. This book is not an ad hominem screed. By that I mean we're not criticizing any one individual mayor. It's our contention that you could elect anybody as mayor of Chicago. It could be Mother Teresa, it could be Pericles, and we would have the same problems. It's structural, not personal. The book is also not a lament. It doesn't just complain about all the problems, although we certainly do describe them. But we also look at other cities and realize they have had practical solutions and changes in their governance structure that have solved their problems. So the book includes four pages of specific suggestions of governance changes, uh, ways that have been proven to work in other cities. There is not one original idea in this book. We're copying off the good practices of other cities. 
And finally, the book is not uh, an ideological polemic. By that I mean it isn't left, right, progressive, conservative, bipartisan, nonpartisan. It's just a practical look at how the city is governed and how other cities are, are governed and how we can make change. So in chapters that cover uh, the mayor and the city council relationship, elections, schools, city budgets, pensions, corruption, the Metropolitan Pier and Exhibition Authority, policing, and state law, we look at all of the major issues that are affecting Chicago and we show how those things can be changed and Chicago can live under a new Chicago way. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs>